0: That that was that was really good, and I'm really glad that that we're continuing this in in the new year. So that's that's really exciting too. So um so this is Parshas Noah, and and we see something really uh, we see a lot of amazing things. The first thing that we see is that is that in in Parshas which is the first the first Parsha of the Torah, God creates the world, and at the end of Parshas Breshis, He's already destroying it. He's bringing a flood. And, you know, in the second Parsha, basically, he's bringing a flood, and then he's creating the world anew. So we have this, even at the beginning, you know, it says in the Talmud, it says, all beginnings are difficult. And so, so people ask a question on that. They say, why, why is the word beginnings in the plural? It should be, to begin something is difficult, right? But it said, all, all beginnings are difficult. So, so there's a lesson to that for us, which is that You know something? A lot of times when you start something, it's not so simple. You have to start something, and then sometimes you fall backwards, right? And then you have to start again. And getting traction, and really, 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 really committing yourself, and really getting it off the ground, sometimes you have to begin again a few times, you know? So obviously, Hashem can do anything, and nothing is difficult for Hashem. But it's just interesting, it's a lesson to us, that a lot of times, you know, we're starting off the year, and we've got like all of these plans and everything like that. And we just have to just keep in mind that sometimes all beginnings are difficult. That we have to allow ourselves not necessarily to be able to realize everything that we're trying to do instantaneously. And to allow ourselves uh, those little, uh, I don't want to say birth pangs <laughs> in this crowd, <grab. laughs> but, <laughs> but we have to allow ourselves to experience the fact that sometimes you know we have to try a couple of times before we can really get it off the ground. So anyway so now listen to this listen to this we have this we have this really this amazing story I don't, I don't know whether to call it heartbreaking I guess it is heartbreaking you'd have to call it heartbreaking with Noach Noach is, is this tzaddik. he's this he's this perfected individual and yet and yet the world gets destroyed and and the waters the prophet calls the waters may noach the waters of Noach. So it's very hard to understand because it, it would it would seem to be that Noach, and and this is what Chazal say and and, and and which the, the rabbis say, that Noach was in, in in a very real sense responsible for for the flood that wipes out the world. So how are we to understand the fact that he was a tzaddik, and yet on the other hand he's also being held responsible? for this terrible thing that came on the world, right? So the common, the, the, the sort of the conventional answer that's given is that Noah was, didn't pray, didn't pray. He could have prayed and he didn't pray. And had he prayed, then, then maybe the floodwaters wouldn't have come, sure. But then you have to ask a big question on this, which is that if he was such a great tzaddik, what what do you mean he didn't pray? (laughs) I mean, what's the hallmark of a tzaddik? The hallmark of a tzaddik is that he's praying all the time. So let's make sure that we understand this question well. On the one hand, he's called a tzaddik. On the other hand, the flood is blamed on him. On the other hand, if he's a tzaddik, why didn't he pray? Okay. Okay. So, so it, it, it's almost impossible to understand unless you know this piece of information and uh, I heard it from Reb Shlomo and it comes from the Zohar and it, it explains that once you have this insight you understand something very, very, very great which is that Noah didn't know that you were permitted to change Hashem's mind In other words, once Hashem says something, the hallmark of a tzaddik, the hallmark of a righteous person is, okay, so then that's the way it is. If this is what Hashem says, this is what I'm going to do, and I've got my marching orders, and that's everything right there. The idea that I can change Hashem's mind, this was a complete, this was an alien concept at this point in, 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 in the development of spirituality in the development of the world in the development of, of, of humanity. But he could and he is allowed to but he didn't know that and it makes sense that he didn't know that because if you think about it it's very counterintuitive. Hashem says one thing and I'm saying another thing. Sounds very arrogant. By the way I, I, I encountered something just recently which um, was very Striking to me. The word gaiva, gaiva is, means arrogance. And you know, if you travel around Jewish circles, you, you never want to hear that word called on you. you know? Because it's really considered a, a terrible, terrible insult. Because it means you're basically an egomaniac and you're out for your own self interest, and it's a, it's a bummer. Okay? So, so but, but, but you see something really interesting. There's a prayer, it's so holy. The Ashkenazim always say it on Yom Kippur. I think maybe Rosh Hashanah too. Nusach Sfard, they say it every Shabbos. It's L'chay Olamin. Right? And we say, you know, it goes through the alphabet, and when we get to Gimel, we refer to God with the word Ga'iva. Ga'ava, I think is the the way it's pronounced there. The highness, the loftiness. Right? So wait a second, we're calling God our And Now I'm all confused. Explain it to me. Okay. So here's what it is. It means the word is not an inherently negative word at all. It means loftiness and grandeur and highness and all positive things. But these things belong to God. When we take these things which belong to God and we put them on ourselves, ah, that's, 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 that's where the problems start. Okay? So there's nothing wrong with majesty. But when I'm crowning myself king, in a conversation with you, that's, you know, (laughs) haven't you seen the crown? That's where it gets very problematic. Okay. So, so now let's look at how this develops, because this isn't the end of the story. So, so some of us might find this idea very uncomfortable. Arguing with God. What's that all about? You know, is God playing games with us? Is that, you know He says something and then He wants to... Like, what's going on exactly? So, the person who Noach is compared to is Abraham Avinu, and that's the famous Rashi that if they were compared, if they if they lived in the same generation, maybe, and it's 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 there's an argument among the the Chachamim, maybe maybe. Abraham would be consi- maybe Noah would still be considered great, or maybe Noah would be considered almost nothing compared to Abraham. So the mystery about Noah continues. But now let's look let's look at Abraham because he's the next step in this spiritual progression and this spiritual refinement and uh, evolution, if you will, of, of of humanity. Abraham hears that Hashem is going to destroy the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. Right? Now, this place, you know, we know it as Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, not a lot of positive associations. Well, it depends where you're at in life. But, you know, (laughs) generally speaking, (laughs) the Torah take on it is, you know, bad news. Bad, 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 bad news. You know, like, really like where it's, they got it completely backwards there. I mean, people would literally be tortured to death for giving charity. I mean, that's, that's, that's where they were at, okay? And they had a system of, 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 of justice, so to speak, quote-unquote, to, to enforce these laws. So it's, it's even more backwards, you know? It was really a crazy place. Um, not to mention all the other uh, uh, iniquitous aspects of, 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 of their lifestyles there, okay? So Hashem informs Abraham, he says, I'm going to destroy this place, I'm going to wipe it out. Okay, so what does Abraham Avinu do? He davens, he prays for all of these people that Hashem, he says, Hashem, he should let them live. Not only does he say Hashem let them live, but he enters into the most phenomenal negotiation with God. A detailed negotiation arguing hardcore numbers how many numbers there have to be if there, if there are 40 righteous people 30, just the whole whole thing trying to get Hashem to, to, to change His mind to nullify His will now so here you see now after Noah after Noah you see that this idea has entered into the world now this idea that if you hear something negative, that you can actually make a stand and say to God, "Please, please change this. Please, God, let there be no more terrorist bombings in Eretz Yisrael around the world. Please, God, please end this. No more, please." So this idea, this power, enters into the world with Avraham Avinu. Now, there's a problem with negotiating with God, which is that you're not always going to win. In fact, probably most times you aren't going to win. So the first thing that you have to understand is that if your prayer isn't answered, it doesn't mean your prayer wasn't heard. We have something, and it's, it's you know we had this intuitive sense that because God is good and because God wants the best for us if my prayer wasn't answered that means that I'm being ignored because God who is good and who wants good for me if he heard my prayer he would have to say yes you know why? because if I were me I would say yes to me and I'm just a person. God is God. So if I know this, how does God not know this? It's, it's very logical. But the problem is it's completely based on emotion <laughs> and self-interest. It's not coming from a bad place, don't get me wrong. It's not coming from a bad place. It's very natural. But But there's something higher, which is the fact that God knows everything and he knows the outcome of all of our requests and he knows that the fixing that our soul needs and he knows all of our previous lifetimes and he knows where we're heading down the line even though we still have free choice of course and everything like that and everything that we're put through is for our good that's why we say it so Fanecha if it's your will God you never, you never just outright ask for something in Dabni you always say if it's your will God <laughs> or please God if this is if this is really what's best please God right because I don't want what I want I want what God wants for me and I know God is open to suggestions so here's some suggestions God right that's it's a different type of relationship but I'm building to a, a more important point a more significant point right now which is how did Abraham Avinu feel you have to picture this he's he's poured his heart out to God he's actually negotiated with God and then the next morning or whenever it was he goes and he looks over the valley and he sees smoke rising from Sodom and Gomorrah and it's clear to him that his prayer wasn't answered and that the entire place has been wiped out ok so So I heard this Torah in the name of uh, Rabbi Elom um, and uh, he's in Israel and it's, it's an awesome Torah. Actually actually, it's drawing on something from uh, from Tzedakah also. So we have to understand something. Which is that, was it Sodom and Gomorrah completely wiped out? And the answer is the answer is no. Lot was saved, as well as his two daughters. And from Lot comes Moab, and from Moab comes Rus, and from Rus comes David HaMelech. And David HaMelech, we know, is the neshama of Melech HaMashiach. So do you hear what happened? on the outside on the outside it looks like Abraham is praying and God is saying no which which as we're saying is an answer and that's a relationship. God does say no and and he is involved in a relationship you aren't being ignored. He is saying no okay So it looks like God just said no or maybe Abraham feels as though he's been rejected and some and some emotional place right? who knows what he experienced but we see that his prayer brought Mashiach into the world who knows what the result of our prayers are it can look like everything absolutely not only did it go wrong you've got a flattened city with thousands of dead people simultaneously Mashiach is being brought into the world from that prayer you know, a story that I heard recently was that um, the Chazanish predicted the Baal movement. movement. This was in, say, approximately the 1920s in Israel. And the Baal movement wasn't going to really start until, say, the 60s, the 70s, right, in seriousness. So this is like 50 years in the future. He, also, he sees us massive return back to Yiddishkeit. So they asked him when it started, they said, like, how... I don't know if you... Maybe it started earlier. I don't know, but he was alive at the time where they could ask him this question. They said to him, are are you a prophet? How did you see this incredible, historic, you know, happening? How did you see it? And he said the following. "At, at, At that time in history, socialism was really socialism and communism was really was really getting big and you have to understand this, all these isms, you know it's just important to understand that the rooted in the Jewish soul is a utopian vision of the world is a perfected vision of the world and when we don't connect that utopian vision that's inside all of our souls to Torah the way God wants it to happen then what happens is, we gravitate to all these parallel, ultimately misguided, ultimately often disastrous other isms. Communism is the best example of this. Communism is totally utopian. What could be more utopian than the workers themselves, the ones who are, who are, who are sweating and who are working and who are sacrificing time with their families, and are killing themselves in order to make who? This rich guy money? What could be more utopian than those people who are working the hardest and sweating the most? Getting the money. Let everyone share. Let everyone be equal. I feel like I'm at a communist uh, support rally over here. You know? ah. <laughs> Who wants to sign up for the communist party? You know, I mean, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. What's the end result of it? Twenty million people dead, murdered under Stalin, and the
1: people still got
0: nothing. And the people still got nothing. It became a dictatorship in a, this phony dictatorship on behalf of the proletariat. It was ridiculous, insulting, horrendous end of something. And there's so many, so many examples of this. So many examples of this. By the way, I have to tell you something, which is that the Torah has its own version of this, which is which is so beautiful. We have this concept of Yovel and Shmita, which is, if you if you if you think about it, is like thematically very closely linked to what the communist revolution tried to do, like millennia later, in, in a terrible way. The the the, 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 the Torah has the vision right here. Let me just sketch it out for you, because you'll hear something very beautiful, which is that when the Jews entered into Israel, all the land was divided up. Everyone got a piece of land. The idea was that if you if, if, if a person became broke, or if a person stole or something like that, then what would happen was they would become a, a slave. And and a slave in, in the Torah, there were a lot of different rules. It's not like slavery... Um, that, that we know from from recent history. In fact it says that a master who has a slave, the the, 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 the the master takes on a master. If there was one pillow in the household it had to go to the slave. Okay? And he had to be treated well and in good conditions and he had to eat the same food as the master was eating. So it was a it was a very it was a very different type of relationship than 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 than, than what we know from, from modern times. Okay. After seven years, the person could go free, pays his debt goes free now now, what happens after fifty years, because he's broke, he had to sell his land, right his his ancestral inheritance. after fifty years, Hashem hits a cosmic reset button, and everyone goes back to their land. so those people who had been acquiring massive tracts of land, the land doesn't belong to you. the land belongs to God all of a sudden,. They're shrunk back, know. right? And then everyone gets their land back. They get a second chance back on their land. I mean, it's incredible. You know, we talk about, we talk about second chances in the Torah. And, you know, we just read Parshas Breshis. Bih, hmm. Breshis. Hmm. The, the letter Be' is, is the gematria of two. Breshis means beginning. Two beginnings. Hmm. A second chance. Constant second chances so you know something if I went up to to the um, you know to Wells Fargo and I said I want to show you it says <laughs> two, two chances give me $10,000 <laughs> you know what the guy would say <laughs> right. he would say you know it's, it's very nice it's very nice, but, you know, <laughs> next, you know, you know, that, that's what he would say. So what's awesome, what's awesome is that, you know, the Torah, you're talking about putting your money where your mouth is. The Torah is saying you get your land back. It's not a joke. These aren't just platitudes. This is the system. Go ahead. Um, but in that second beginning, you learned from the first one. I mean,
1: the Kibbutz right. movement was a, was a communist movement too, and they started, you know, from a different aspect, of smaller communist movements. Yeah, we learn from this You can't have a huge yes. communist movement that obviously fails. A smaller right one is it's another beginning that you we know, have to learn
0: from. The same path. Yeah, yeah, and the Kibbutz the Kibbutz movement did a lot of awesome things, but interestingly, it's 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 basically over at this yeah. point, which is also interesting. And and what I would suggest is, without I'm not trying to bash the the Kibbutzniks or anything like that, but what what I would suggest is, is that is that all of these doctrines, all of these man-made isms, if you will, are, you see, you see. It says, it says that the Torah was created, the Gemara says that the Torah was created 974 generations before the world was created. Okay, So the Torah existed before the world was created. It says God looked into the Torah, that the Torah is the blueprint of creation, and he created the entire world. So what does that mean? Why am I telling you this? That means that that halacha, Jewish law, that means the way. The way. Rep. Shlomo translated the word mitzvahs, that is commandments, but as divine pathways. So so what it means is, is that there's a there's a flow and there's a structure to human nature, to the universe, to all of the laws of the universe, basically. And they are outlined in the Torah itself and when you try to reroute everything and to superimpose an outside structure on the true nature and the true flow of everything you will necessarily fail necessarily fail sooner or later but you will fail and so what's so awesome about the Torah is the mitzvahs put someone in harmony with themselves and with the universe around them and so, so that that that's go ahead. Yeah.
1: Another um, rabbi was saying that if you send a satellite out, you know, from NASA, they have these course corrections, right? You know, so you, right. you have to take it into account the things going in a direction, right. And then it's going to come up to obstacles that are unknown, so you have right. to change the course, right? And you learn from past mistakes as well, and so everybody right. has this innate right. knowledge of a utopian society within them, right? That's a huge risk, and that's delusional. That's crazy, right. especially to go up against a society that is so ingrained in. in like you said, another lesson about conforming and you know being so upset about the wrong fashion, right. about minuscule things. So to create this utopia you have to make mistakes, yeah, and you have to make big mistakes, you know. But then it was a, it was a test of his of Marxist vision of a utopian society. He tried it out. Okay. He was taking a huge risk, right? And that to be considered
0: crazy and delusional, going against right. everybody's ideas
1: Right. So, so you know, how does one tap into that inner, okay. soul question without having to go against all society?
0: Okay. So, so you know, I'm saying this over Yentif, so I want to give this as an example, and then um, please remind me because what we have to do is we have to go to the next step of this of this development from from Noah to Avraham now we're going to get to Moshe and we're going to see something amazing with Moshe but but it's important to address what you're saying so it says Okay, we just read those words it means it's the beginning of the Torah it says in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth right everyone has heard that translation. And as we said many times in this class, once a year, Jews fast. They fast, we have a fast day that the Torah was ever translated into another language. Because of all of the incredibly destructive misinterpretations that have been sent out. Which fast day is that? That's the 10th of Tevez. And it actually commemorates five different things. It's more popularly known because Jerusalem was surrounded at that point, but one of the five reasons we fast that day is because the Torah was translated okay so so listen to this translation now okay in the beginning okay let me let me preface it with this one thought what, why is that such a destructive translation in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth because that suggests that God finished creating the world already. Right? God is still in the process of creating the world. If you don't know this piece of information, you will not understand anything about life. You, will, you, you, you literally will not understand anything about what it means to be alive in this world. If you don't know that the world is still in the process of being created. So listen to this translation. In the beginning of God's creation... Of the heaven and the earth, you hear the difference in the beginning of God's creation of the heaven and the earth. It's an ongoing process. It's happening right now. So, so, so here's the example that I want to give, and then we're going to come back to Marx in a second. Because really, what you're talking about is dreaming big. We're not talking about Marx right now. This is not an academic conversation. What we're talking about, what you're raising, is oh, what's my role in in creation. Aren't I supposed to dream big? Aren't I supposed to really try to fix the world? Isn't this what I'm here for? That's the question that I'm hearing from you which I think you're asking. It's not about Marx. It's about all of us. Imagine, imagine you have a particular interest. Whatever it is. And you have an opportunity to learn with the world's greatest authority on this particular subject. It's a class that everyone wants to get into. And you get a chance to be with the number one expert in this particular field. So that's incredible, right? I'm learning from the master himself, right? Now imagine a much higher level than that. The teacher says, "You know what? I'm doing this project, and I want to do it with you. I want to collaborate with you on this. The two of us together, we're going to do this together, right? What is that? Now? That is like stratos, it's good. stratospheric, you know? yeah. stratospheric. <laughs> it's higher, that's for sure, <laughs> with extra syllables. Fill <laughs> oh, them in." I recommend the letter E Um, so that's what we're doing right now God is still in the process of creating the world and he's asked us with the laws of the Torah through the mitzvahs, the mitzvahs are the tools They're the metaphysical hammers and nails and boards and velvet and and he's asked us to be partners with him in terms of finishing off the entire world But you know what, if the master of the universe says use a two-by-four and instead we use like, you know, a cotton ball, (laughs) you know, the structure isn't going to stand. You know? We have have how to dream big. We have the tools, they're right here. If we decide from the best-case scenario, God, I, I want to do something so great but I don't want to listen to you I want to do it on my own by myself with my own limited human, mortal vision then that's it just doesn't work it doesn't work and eventually we're going to learn that you know it's. A, I heard from Reb Shlomo something what you're saying it says every generation learns from the previous generation and they say okay we're not going to do it that way okay but what happens we make Different mistakes, you know? Like we look at the way our parents raised us and we say, I'm not going to raise my kids like that. So you know what we do? We make new, different mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, sometimes we also make the same mistakes. Right. <laughs> but hopefully, each time we learn an aspect of the lesson of the universe itself. That's what we're dealing with. Okay. So now let's go to the next step. Let's go to, uh, let's go to Moshe. So now Moshe, he says something absolutely, absolutely incredible. Okay, let's 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 uh, let's go back to the progression again. Noah doesn't know that that you can change Hashem's mind, so he doesn't so he doesn't pray. He doesn't pray. Okay, thinks it's a chutzpah. Like, who might contradict that? Abraham tries his hardest. he says, "Please God, don't do this. seemingly doesn't get his prayer prayer answered, but we know really his prayer was answered, and now I realize I didn't finish the the previous story, so let's get back to that. so the Hazanich, so they said to him how did how did you know that this historical Bolchuva movement was going to take place?" Ah, now I see how we got into communism, so he says he says that all he says. He says at the time all these Jews were leaving Torah and they were going to become communists and socialists and everything like that. And they were going to try to do it their way. Their way. Okay? And their parents prayed for them and their grandparents prayed for them and their friends prayed for them and still we see that they didn't come back to Yiddishkeit. They went on and they became atheists and communists and socialists and all the rest so the Chazanish said he, made, he, he, made, he took it to the next step and this is the, the, the crucial level of thinking this is what every person who aspires to be close to Hashem listen to the, the, the rhythm of this thought process because this is, this is how we have to think we have to condition ourselves to think this way he said well wait a second every prayer has an effect right? so how can it be all these prayers are being said and all these people are going every which way So that means that all of the prayers are being bundled together up in heaven. And it means further that God is waiting for a generation that isn't anti-religion. He's waiting for the first generation historically that's going to come, which will at least be open to the idea. They don't necessarily have to be pro-religion, they just can't be anti-religion. And then all of the prayers are going to come down. So, you know, for all of us who have experienced a, a return within our own lives, you know, do, do you realize
1: that,
0: what, what it, what, what's shaping us? I mean, there are these prayers coming down from, and, and not just from there, you know. You know, if we had eyes, if we, if we really saw what was going on, Okay. So now here comes the next step. The Jews worship the golden calf, and Hashem says, "I'm going to wipe out the Jewish people." Okay, first we were talking about Sodom and Gomorrah. All right, now we're talking about God is going to wipe out the whole Jewish people. God forbid. And He says to Moshe Rabbeinu, "I'm going to start all. I'm going to start again from scratch with just you." And now Moshe Rabbeinu knows that God's for real because he did it with Noah. Wiped right? out the whole world, started with Noah and his wife and a few kids. So, he, Moshe knows that Hashem isn't joking around. So, so what does Moshe say? Does Moshe say, remember, what, what are the, what, what was the flood called? Who remembers? What does the prophet call the flood may Noah the waters of Noah okay meaning to say that he was responsible for the flood on some level because he didn't pray so Moshe says he says forgive their sin this is now uh, we're in Shmos Parshish Kisisa chapter 32 verse 32 32, 32-32 how awesome. Mm-hmm. Lave, lave. Right? 32 is the Gamachi of the word heart. So it's the heart of hearts. The inside of the inside. Oh my goodness. I remember that? That's amazing. So now listen to this. Moshe says, And now, if you would but forgive their sin, but if not, erase me now from the book that you have written. So so Moshe now does something that no one's done up until then. He says, God, if you're going to do this, take me first. It's more than just a prayer on behalf of other people. He says, God, wipe me out. Wipe me out. But now that's not the end of it. This is the, this is, this is the, the incredible thing. So there's a teaching according to Kabbalistic sources that, that Moshe Rabbeinu was the reincarnation of Noach. Okay? And now listen to this. The word wipe me out, take me out, is macheni. Macheni is the letters that spell out the words "May Noach.
1: <laughs>
0: which means the waters, I'm going to explain it, the May Noach was the waters of the flood that wiped out the world that Noach was held responsible for. Me-Noach is the flood. Moshe Rabbeinu gets to the point where he says, uses those words, Me-Noach, rearrange the letters of May noach and it spells the word Machini, which means white Mia. In other words, he comes to the level of saying, not only should you save them, God, but if you don't save them... Take me out. And this is before the disaster occurred. So here you see the most awesome rectification, the most awesome evolution of spirituality. And it boils down to, in the end, nothing mystical whatsoever. It boils down to the end, taking personal responsibility for the entire world. Listen to this teaching that I heard. In the name of... It said, it quoted him as, 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 as Reb Tzvi Elimelech. Now, Reb Tzvi Elimelech, the, 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 the most famous Reb Tzvi was the was was the, B'nai the dinner of the So, I'm assuming that it's him. I'm assuming that it's him. Listen to this. He says... He says, let's just say that there's a divine decree that person A has to endure some suffering. Okay? This is, by the way, listen very carefully because this is—you want to become a rebbe or a, a tzaddik or a sedekus? Listen to this. This is instructions and this is a how-to. Okay. <laughs> let's say, let's say there is a decree of suffering that's been decreed on person A. Okay. Now it says that you should you should unburden. You should un- unburden your heart. If you have problems, you should talk about them with a close friend. Very important, right? person has to be careful what that means exactly because they don't want to be a... You know, there's a difference between that and being a chronic complainer, okay? person has to know what it means to unburden your heart Has to do it with the right person in the right time, okay? It doesn't mean just telling every person that they need, you know, that they're annoyed because they got a parking ticket, okay? okay but listen there's a decree of suffering put on person A person A unburdens his heart on person B now if person B experiences and takes on their suffering in other words if they have a degree of empathy where they really feel in their heart the pain of person A all of a sudden, there's a big noise that happens up in heaven. Why? Because person B was not supposed to experience suffering. They weren't destined to have this decree of suffering on them. And now person B has, has all of this suffering. So it's not fair. So, so what has to happen? The source of the suffering has to be taken away. So they take it away from person B. But what what is the suffering of person B? That's the suffering of person A. So that suffering is removed from the world. Because person B took it on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's intense. Well, it says that if you... Mm -hmm. By the way, when you make a, 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 a... When you visit the sick... It's called Bikr Cholim. When you do this mitzvah visiting the sick, it says in the Gomorrah that one sixtieth of their suffering is removed from them. Everyone should know that the, the ikr mitzvah, the essential mitzvah of visiting the sick is actually praying for the sick person while you're there. Okay? So you should just, while you're there, be mindful that the that the central fulfillment is to, is to daven for them. And you don't have to necessarily... Let them see that you're davening for them if it's going to make them feel bad. By the way, it says that the best time to visit a sick person is in the afternoon. Why? Because if you visit them in the morning, they feel strong. So you'll go to them and you'll say, Ah, this person's fine, I don't have to pray for them. If you visit them in the evening, that's when the illness is at its worst. A person might say, this person's going to die anyway. What's the, use of, what's the use of praying for them? But if you visit them in the afternoon, they say, okay. And you say, okay, the person needs a little help, so I'm going to daven for them. An interesting, <laughs> kind of a sidebar, but an interesting thing. But actually, the, actually this teaching from Reb Tzvi is going further than that. They're related. They're related. You're right to bring it up. But that shows how you can remove part of it. This other teaching shows how, that's just 160th. This talks about how you can remove the whole thing. Right? Yeah. Does it really happen? If the person is an emistic at sadik, it happens. Yes. This is a very exalted level that we're talking about. This is a very exalted level that we're talking about. But yes, it happens. This is, you know, you see, I, I saw even by the... Uh, By the way, since we're hearing a siren and we're talking about it right now, a person, if you hear a siren, you have to daven. You have to daven at that moment, because there's there's someone in trouble right now. And I thought to myself one time, the person who's in trouble can't cry out. The siren that you're hearing is the person in trouble crying out. So you daven, please Hashem, bring salvation. I worked very long on that prayer. It's very short, it sounds very simple. why why are you dominating please God bring salvation and it actually goes back to Sodom and Gomorrah so so I'm going to explain it more fully for you. It says that the cloud that went up the cloud of smoke that went up was like from a lime kiln. This is what Rashi says. That's where bricks are constructed. So one of the things one of the the ways that God builds the world and this is this is very difficult for us to hear but this is our tradition and, and we have to understand it. Sometimes the world is brought closer to perfection by more goodness blossoming in it. Sometimes it happens through destruction. In other words, sometimes something that has to be removed has to be removed. And that's part of the building of the world. sounds counterintuitive because you're tearing something down. How are you building it up? But if for whatever reason, and we're not being judgmental, and we don't have the eyes to see, but if something has to be removed, that's also part of the building of the world. This is what Hashem was telling, this is one of the things that Hashem was telling Abraham Avinu, when he showed him this this lime kiln, that part of the building of the world has to be the removal of this community. Okay? So I thought to myself, here I am, I'm, I'm, I'm davening for every siren that I hear. How do I know that that's a good prayer. Maybe that person. Maybe that's part of the building of the world that the person shouldn't make it. You hear? So, I and God, please bring salvation, because Yeshua covers both sides of it. Salvation is that that person's supposed to go, and that's part of the fixing of the world. Bring salvation, and if it's if it's not, not you know. Seems to go against the other teaching, actually. Now that I utter it, you know, I have to think some more about that. <laughs> you know, yeah. Go ahead. What? Yeah. It was like a little like you, know, you
1: think that um, everybody will praise Mashiach when comes, and the answer was, what will it take to get everybody to praise Mashiach? Mm-hmm. how bad do things have to get before we all pray for Mashiach right we can just pray for
0: Mashiach yeah it's wonderful you see I wonder if if everyone praying for Mashiach will bring Mashiach maybe everyone's got to do I think it says everyone's got to do tshuva so so that's an interesting thing like to what the extent you
1: for Mashiach
0: you have to do tshuva you know to
1: even
0: see that well maybe uh, uh, maybe you <laughs> could say a prayer for Mashiach is an act of tshuva perhaps I don't know I don't know. Okay, we have a Mashiach expert here. Ah, yeah, wrong. yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but one fact that people overlook sometimes is that between davening Shmona Esrei three times a day, saying great for Mashiach to come.
0: That's true. It's it's it's, it's everywhere. everywhere. <laughs> it's everywhere. You know something? Yeah. You know, Reb Shlomo along those lines. Reb Shlomo says, you know, the amazing thing is, is that you know, you have to do the 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 halacha is that if you eat a kisayis of bread, which is like. You know the volume of an olive or an egg or whatever it is I think it eggs used to be olives used to be the size of eggs you know they're whatever it is but so so <laughs> so if you eat a, if, you, if you eat a, 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 a significant enough piece of bread which is pretty small actually and so so Rip Shlomo says you know. You eat a little piece of bread and you ask God for the whole world. You ask Him for Eretz Yisrael. You ask Him for the basic mikdash, You ask Him for you ask Him for Mashiach. And it's, if you even look at when you Al when you eat a cookie, you ask Him for Mashiach. You, ask, you, know, well, you think I'm just going to ask you? You know, while I'm asking, you know, God, while we I'm thanking You for this cookie, a couple of things: Mashiach, Beit Mikdash, Eretz Yisrael. You know, I mean, it's it's beautiful. I Don't you think God takes pleasure in that? I mean, how can he not take awesome pleasure in that? All right. So, oh you know, it looks like we, we only have a few more minutes. So I want to... Yeah. Go ahead. The, the partnership. Yeah. It's not enough to say,
1: that we're partners, yes. say, you
0: do it, God. No, you do it
1: all. You know, just praying isn't enough. We've got to do things that we're partners in the creation to bring Right, right, is zero
0: right, if you're not it. right, yes, yes, okay, so now, now I just want to go to Rabbi Wolfson uh, for a moment, <clears throat> and just talk about um, where we are right now in terms of the year, okay, so we're leaving, he says, he, he, he. okay, there's certain things that have measurements, certain structures that have measurements. Now, we just left one, which is the sukkah. Okay? The sukkah has very specific measurements. And he says, where does the kadusha, where does the holiness of a sukkah come from? The fact that it's constructed according to halakha. Because you took these measurements which were designated by God, and you actually followed them, and you built this thing, therefore, the shekhinah comes down, this, this divine emanation comes down, and, and you're you're, you're, you're surrounded by this holiness because you constructed it in this way. So now, he goes on to say that we're leaving the sukkah, right? What's the very, very first thing that we do? Well, just about the very first thing that we do. We're reading Parshas Noach. What's Parshas Noach? It's another divine structure with strict measurements, with holiness that's inside of it. And, and the word for ark is teva, Teva also means a word. It it also, we call this the Teva. It's an ark where we keep the Torah. It's also a word, like a word of Torah. So what is our ark? What is the ark that we're going into? It's the davening that we're going to do and the Torah that we're going to be learning. Is our ark, which we're going to continue to go into, right? That's right. We go right from the Sukkah into the Teva. You know, and we're sailing into the year. And then he goes on and he says there's another thing that has a measurement which is a Nikva and also the Mishkan. Right? And he says something really cool which is that the if you count up the number of Pesukim in the um, in Parsha's Noah it comes out to uh, 152. There are 152 Pesukim let me just double check that math 60 and 90 is 150 no, 153 153 psukum and that's the gematria of the word Betzalel now Betzalel is the one who built the Mishkan so so the number of psukum in Parshas Noach the ark is, is compared to a Mishkan, right? so you have the sukkah, then you have the ark then you have the Mishkan you have all of these holy divine protective energies that are surrounding us as we like go into the as we go into the year right now. So, um, is it is it one fifty two? No, Betzalel, because you have Beis and Olive is three. Oh, Betzalel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one fifty two. Okay, so um, so with that in mind, have a gazinta vinta. <laughs> 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 that's the that was the the greetings that, that, that people would leave the uh, at there so they show each other in, in Europe which means a, a healthy winter and a good year a good year yeah yeah